What's up, Craig? Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I am one of your critics, Joshua Tracy. And I'm the other one, Corbin Heller. And uh, we are talking about the 2020 film, The King of Staten Island, and our Oscars pick for this week, the also 2020 film, The Sound of Metal. Uh, Corwin, are you ready to get started? Yeah. All right. Um, I think we've been doing the Oscars pick second, or did I make that up? Uh, it's usually just whatever. All right. Um, which one do you want to do? Do you have any preference on where we start? I do not. All right. Then let's do King of Staten Island first. We'll save the Oscars he picked okay. for second, because I already said that, and now it feels right. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, <clears throat> King of Staten Island was uh, directed by Judd Apatow. It was written by Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson, and Dave Cyrus. Uh, it stars Pete Davidson, Belle Powley, and Ricky Velez. Um, it had an estimated budget. Oh, we don't have that. Well, oh well. has a cumulative worldwide gross of $2.2 million. Tough to really compare that because it's also a COVID time film. It didn't really get a true theatrical release. And, you know, who knows how this shit, like, I watched this shit on HBO max. Who knows how they really gauge that shit. So it doesn't really matter. Um, anyway, it's tagline. Uh, I, I don't see one of those either. <laughs> All right. Fuck me. Uh, None of that shit. It doesn't have any major award nominations nor wins, um, in part because this film just came out this year. Um, we can talk about whether you see any possibility for getting any Oscar, any Oscars buzz. I'm not sure if I've heard the name out there for anything, um, but maybe you have some takes on it after we get into it. But we shall see. Uh, it's about a man named Scott who has been a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died. He spends his days smoking weed and dreaming of being a tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and take his first steps forward in life. This was uh, this was my pick, so I'll start. Um, I was very curious about this film. I didn't really know much about it uh, outside of I knew it was going to be loosely based off of uh, Pete Davidson's life. Um, and it was made by actually I kind of forgot it was made by Judd Apatow, but I uh, I had an expect uh, a certain idea of what it was going to be going into it, and it wasn't quite that. In part because I don't think this movie knew what it wanted to do, and I we're gonna you know I'm sure spend plenty of time talking about it, um, but I. I don't have, I have qualms with how much stuff they tried doing with this movie and how little of it they actually fleshed out. But I think any one of the things it tried to do would have been good. It's, it's, it's like they took four different directions this film could have gone. And tried to do all of them. And I don't think it worked out well, but I appreciated what it tried to do. So, like, I'm not here to necessarily shit on this, 
because I don't think it's bad, but I did not love this in a way that I would love. I or I have a lot of love for how Judd Apatow makes his films that are typically somewhat in a vein tonally of this. I very much agree. I have seen this movie before, but I never actually watched the ending. I only just kind of watched parts of it. Um, and I will say the notes that I have for the first, what felt like the first half of the movie versus the notes I have for the subsequent acts are very different because like you said i agree i don't think this movie knew what it was trying to accomplish and it felt like the first and second halves of the film were just of two completely different films that just kind of got mushed together um 100 yeah, percent. i know i've watched an interview or listened to an interview um with judd apatow discussing this movie and basically hearing how he really struggled with how to structurally build the film where he just really wasn't sure. Like, so him and Pete Davidson wrote this story, you know, it's, it's Pete Davidson's life story um, that they came in and turned into a film and they just weren't sure how to kind of just piece it all together to make it a, fundamentally sound movie as a as a whole um as a whole piece and i really think it started off the first half of this film as a gritty built in reality you know love affair of just growing up in a a shitty town like many people do and Granted, Staten Island isn't really much of a, a town as much as it's a, a borough of the largest city in the world. Um, but that being said, it felt real. You know, it was genuine. It had heart. It was everything you kind of wanted from it. And nothing that happened, none of the decisions that were made by the characters, everything about it felt like something that you could pull out of your own life experiences, something that you could relate to on an interpersonal level. And I really appreciated that until they started robbing banks and just things kind of escalated. And I feel like they got to the point where we don't know how to make the rest of this interesting when we reach, you know, the climactic conclusion of the film or how we reach the conclusion of the film even and it just kind of got convoluted and messy and just like they were trying to come up with scenarios to reach an end goal without really realizing that none of those things anchor the rest of the film the way that the first half does and it just kind of lost its its charm for me. It went from a a film I really appreciated, you know, being genuine and built in reality and all of these things to just being a okay, this is just kind of whatever. Um and then it just ends. Ended. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. It it's it it felt like pieces of plot got picked up and put down based on how they felt that day while filming. Yeah. Um, because uh, that's the thing. Like again, like no one choice that they made was wrong. It was including every single one of these ideas in this movie. Right. Like there's too much movie here. Yeah. Like so. You know. Let's take it. Let's take it like that. Then let's take it in 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 terms of these various storylines. The girlfriend piece. What was her fucking name? Like Kelsey or some shit. I don't know. Um. I'm gonna. I have the page in front of. Me. Yeah, Kelsey. Um, at no point did they give you a real reason to care about that. They, they, they touched on ideas that were really good ideas, like Kelsey wanting Pete to make something of himself, but they move on through those ideas so much that you don't really get much out of it. Which makes the scene where she's on that date with that guy. I understood that was supposed to be uh, a dig at Pete, but honestly, I just felt good for Kelsey during that scene because Pete sucks. And yeah. when Pete had that revelation that he loved Kelsey, which you kind of you know with these types of movies, you know he's going to make the revelation. Um, you know it's coming. Yep. Yeah, it it didn't land in any meaningful type of way because I didn't I didn't feel the connection between them. In any type of way. I saw Kelsey trying to reach out to Pete. Pete not giving a shit. And then the movie would just kind of move on from that. You get a scene where they talked about something. Pete looked like he might be thinking about it. And then we're in a completely different part of this movie. A scene later. Right. And I think they either needed to have a lot more Kelsey. To really drive that point into you. And show them being intimate. And show Pete. Like, like, like that. We got like one scene of it at the beginning, like after they fucked, and Kelsey was like, "What are we?" And Pete danced around it a little bit, and he was honest, like you said in the beginning of the movie. It was very, you know, it had a, that reality grounded type of tone. Um, and it either needed like way more of that type of like intimate moments to make all the emotional things that happened plot wise later land, or it needed way less Kelsey. And make her more of a concept than an actual person. Because the you could also build the character around the idea of the character. Kelsey is a woman, yes, but she's also this idea of Pete being able to sustain himself in the relationship. Um, being able to uh, give love and take love and move forward in a progression um, after accepting those two facts. And that Kelsey was just the visual point of of that concept um but it like danced in between and i don't think it worked very well i agree very much agree i also and this is this is a sub point but it 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 irked me a little bit and not like a lot just 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 a little bit and i want to hear what you think about it um because one of the speaking of kelsey one of the things that she was all about was like, let's make Staten Island great again. And mm-hmm. I hate hearing anyone say great again. I never want to hear it again. I never want to hear make anything great again. Fuck off. <laughs> and there was a clear attempt to make a through line in this film 
that Staten Island actually rocks and we're all wrong. Um, and I, they never gave you a reason. And they also tied it to Kelsey's character in a weird way that I also don't think really landed. I, it, it lent itself to her little arc where she was moving forward with her life with or without Pete, which I did enjoy. I liked the fact that she was doing her thing. Um, but there was this, cause the movie's called the King of Staten Island. Right. One of my notes is I don't know why this is called the King of Staten Island. Fair. I don't. I don't do, do you have any impression of what that was all there for? Uh, no. And I don't know how else to say that, but no. Cause um, like I, I kept waiting. And again, you know, I want I want to hear if you had a different interpretation. I kept waiting for them to make Staten Island more of a character. You know, Midnight Cowboy isn't called anything with to do with New York, but New York is a character in Midnight Cowboy. Um, right. Staten Island. Isn't really, really a character to in kind of argue for or against. It's I don't have a lot of I don't know. I really just don't know enough about it to say. I I think that's part of the point I'm making, which is, you know, if you watch Midnight Cowboy, and Corwin and, and I have been to Manhattan many times. Um, yes. We've never experienced Manhattan in the 70s or 60s. Oh. I guess it was the 60s. Oh, no. um, you will get a sense of what Manhattan in the 60s was when you watch Midnight Cowboy. And it fits perfectly in line with the stories I've been told from my grandparents and my parents about what Manhattan was like during that period of time. You will understand what it was about. All you see from Staten Island is a bunch of white drug addicts doing their thing, which, like, is Staten Island. It's like the Columbus (laughs) of the boroughs. Um, But that's not a personality trait. It's just white kids smoking pot, and I'm not sure that's a culture. I I cannot agree with that more. <laughs> it's, it's just a movie of kids smoking pot. But to be fair, if we want to talk, you know, Gen Z, millennial culture right now, especially in 2020, it's it's a lot of smoking pot. It is a lot of smoking pot, yeah. yeah. Um all right, anyway, let's 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 um Pete Davidson versus his mother. That that plot line. Uh, Pete Davidson. Marissa Tomei, who I will say openly is my favorite part of this movie. Um, She's wonderful in everything she does. And also this. Yeah. Can't disagree. It it also started off great, I thought. um, Because you can, you get this, you know, very protective mother kind of thing. Like, I know my son's a fuck up, but I love him and I'm, just want him to be happy and all that shit, which, you know, I think is a, is a 
interesting relationship, all that shit. And then she just like turns on a dime. And the last scene of Marissa Tomei interacting with Pete Davidson in this movie is her locking him out of the house and laughing in his face. That and it's me off to no end. It came out of nowhere. It made no sense. Tell, uh, tell me about it for you. It it I I don't know how else to phrase it because I agree. It came out of nowhere and had no bearing on what the character did for the the entirety of the first act of the movie, the first two acts of the movie. It doesn't fit. I don't know why she did it. And and this for me is a greater point about how poorly written this film is. Because you're telling me Marissa Tomei moved on after Pete Davidson tattooed a kid, a nine-year-old child. She was like, oh, I'm mad at Pete, but he's my son. What can you do? Um, but he gets into like barely a very, very poorly choreographed scuffle with her boyfriend. And that's when she kicks him out of the house and excommunicates herself from him. That's the dividing line. Not tattooing kids in the park on a weekday. Not yeah. that. But getting into a mild scuffle in her backyard. It, it made no it made no sense well, that she would move on from all of it. She was interested in the guy involved with the tattooing of a child. She's just, you know, trying to get some. (laughs) It was the scene in their living room with the mom's friend was difficult. It was not good. Oh my god, it was so. And the whole, not only was it redecorated, the whole house was painted. So you're telling me that she she painted the house, bought all new furniture, threw out the old furniture. And that was the other thing. I have no idea how long this movie took. I have no idea how many days, weeks, or months passed. None. Because you know how big of an endeavor that is? That's weeks of work. Especially for a woman who works two full-time jobs. That's weeks. Yeah, because she said she said she was an ER nurse and a nurse at a uh, at a school. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Makes sense. It's all coming together. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised I never pieced those together. Well, yeah, it was um it was very confusing because like she has that FaceTime call from the from the school nurse's office when that kid throws up in the very beginning, and then later on she says she's an ER nurse. And Kel and I were both like, "What? what? That that was not an emergency room." And then later on after that, she says, "I'm an ER nurse and a school nurse." And we were like, "Oh, okay, got it. Weird. Yep. Um, also, why are you borrowing that kid's phone? Is it just for this joke? Because that makes no sense." Um, mm-hmm. I. That bothered me so much. Why are you an adult woman without a phone? Uh, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things that happen in this movie that really are not that important that just don't get explained well. Oh, can can I add to you my favorite one? Sure. Bill Burr's character. Yes. Great. So they let they let Bill Burr keep that Boston accent. Okay. It is an aggressively, aggressively Boston accent. It's Bill. So you would think, you would, you would think he's just from Boston, and then 
when they're you know uh, when him and and, and Marissa Tomei are eating at the restaurant Pete Davidson works at, he mentions that he also worked at a pizzeria just down the road from here when he was a kid. And then you're like, so hold on. You're telling me that you have this ridiculous Boston accent and are also a lifetime Staten Islander? And then later on, <laughs> they say that they're going up to Boston to go visit uh, uh, Bill Burr's family. And it's like, fuck, man. Just just make him from Boston. You didn't need to mention the fact that he worked at a pizzeria down the road. Just just say, I was a firefighter up in Boston, and I came down here in the early 2000s and worked with your dad. Like, like and I know it's small. I know it's so small. But it, it mattered because you let him keep this, his normal accent, which I think is probably the right choice. Because having Bill Burr do an accent is probably more than Bill Burr would be able to do convincingly. But don't give him this much backstory that you, it, it's, it's weird. It's just weird. Just let the man be from Boston. You didn't need I, this. This oh, It's little. I know it's little, but it really drove me nuts. I paused the movie and complained about it. I think the struggle with this is that, you know, Pete Davidson does have a history as a professional comedy writer, you know, worked on SNL. I'm sure he had plenty of fantastic writing experiences there. But at the same time, you know, when it comes to building a movie like this, yes, you want to have your story and your experiences be that focal point of what's going on. At the same time, in order to build a movie with, you know, depth of character and everything involved with creating a cohesive story, you need to get the little details right. And if you're just going to go big picture and not do that character depth and the layers involved. That's fine. You can make that movie. It's a different movie, but you can make it. If you are going to make this movie, you need to be able to add those details. And it just seemed like he wrote the script for jokes and for his personal story. And just kind of left out the details that add and create a cohesive story. Um, and that's kind of the biggest thing for me. Now, I think that's a great point because the way this moves around feels more sketch-like in terms of how the scenes flow than it does movie-like. So I, I I think you're you're on the fucking nose here, yeah. Right, like because it's just a series of sketches that kind that of have a through woven into an entire film. Yeah, yeah. No, I think yeah, I think you're totally right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So just to just to keep it going with um, Bill Burr, I do think because so much of that storyline is the second half of the movie. I do think that one worked probably the best. I, it still didn't get any resolution, so it still isn't satisfying. But I think that one worked the best of them, even though it also started off on a stupid fucking note, which is how did that guy know Pete Davidson was the one who tattooed his kid? Because I wrote down the quote, which was Mr. Tomei asking him, how did you know it was my son? And Bill Burr responding, I have my ways. 
which how do you have your ways yeah like um, they didn't do any introductory between the kid and 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 pete at least i don't remember um nope it was just kind of like okay he's got a he's a fireman so i, I guess that that's something he can do. But it, again, I guess. With, well, what I'm saying is like with what information about him? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that's where it's. Yeah. And also an, another very, very small point. Um, he showed up to their house wearing um, a polo from a realtor, like a, like a realty agency polo. And that was also weird because I knew he was going to be a fireman because I've seen the trailers of this film. And I knew that's how it's going to go. If I didn't know any better, I would have assumed he worked at a real estate agency because why else would he be wearing a, a polo oh, of a realty agency? Like in reality, in the real world, we just kind of have polos from different companies. Uh, that is totally normal and acceptable. I have plenty of polos for companies that I have never worked for and do not currently work for. The San Diego movie, you don't have that kind of built-in history and, and basically you have to use those kinds of things to explain character depth because you just don't have the time or desire to do it otherwise. Like You have it's, to it's have a part of the that set. be representative because otherwise, how else are you going to? Right. Uh, Every everything included in the shot that you are presenting to us has to either have meaning or have absolutely no meaning, and they can't be ambiguous. If this if this scene was taking place in a different set other than the home, that would should be informative for some reason. If it's taking place in an office building, you're going to assume there's going to have something to do with it being in an office building. Otherwise, why would you be here? Because um, mm -hmm. you're right. We all have clothes that have companies on them we've never worked. Um, whether it's a brand or not. I've uh, never played for the Padres. Right. Or Spoiler even, or even like, you know, Pete Davidson wearing Wu-Tang Clan shirts throughout the movie. That makes total sense. That is informative. That says that I'm into hip-hop and I am from Staten Island. Both of these things are true. That, that they necessarily Davidson's need to stage be true. name is not RZA. <laughs> no. No, it is not. Um, but like, though, you know, that tracks with who this guy is. That makes total sense. The real estate agency shirt is... And that gets into a greater point uh, I, I know we're kind of all over the place with this discussion, but it is what it is. Um, Filmmaking-wise, I don't think this was very well made. And I say that because the scenes where there's conversation in, and she's telling him, like, you know, you got to do something with your life and he's at the very end of the conversation pete davidson gets up to then just walk away but outside of that it was a still shot on pete davidson's face that would then cut and neither of them moved and there were no other camera angles involved and there were a lot of scenes and conversations like that where it was like We
did this scene emotional as the conversation goes on. He doesn't get up. He doesn't get any more animated. The camera doesn't change angles to, to represent how he's feeling. Pete Davidson's overall tone doesn't change much. It's weird. It's really weird. Because that's not how this film should genuinely be made. Um, and I found it so off-putting. I completely agree. Uh, which gets it's, me to another... What really, you know, sucks about, you know, specifically the conversation we have and we're having about this is I still thoroughly enjoyed the movie just as a, hey, let's sit around and, and watch a a quick, easy movie, you know, a fun... By all means, this was a really funny movie. It really was. And I had no issues with really anything that went on in the movie. It's just, you know, it's tough. Like rating this movie, you know, the way we rate all of the movies we have, you know, it's. I don't I've it. What I'm trying to say is I still thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I have no issues with this movie as just, uh, hey, let's sit around, smoke, watch a movie. You know, this will fit that really well because of what it is and who's making it. Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson, they do that movie, that kind of movie, extremely well. And this movie is still very enjoyable as just uh, not necessarily turn off your brain, but just like... easy rider kind of easy watch movie it's just comparing it to some of the other movies we've reviewed lately that are you know we've been giving it four four and a half five stars this is just kind of comparatively technically not in that grouping right yeah i I wouldn't complain about this being on like i'd still recommend everyone watch this movie because it's a good movie it's All just... right, so l- l- let me let me ask you a point at which I think we might disagree. Um, okay. Is Pete Davidson good in this? He's good at the comedic effect and comedic relief and just making funny jokes and being a funny character. As far as the... And to another extent, I think he's really good at portraying what he's trying to portray which is just a a 24 year old stoner living in his mom's house you know without any real purpose in the world and still struggling to cope with losing his father at a young age i think he plays himself in that role well because that's exactly what it is i'm not nominating him for best actor i don't think the acting itself was tremendous but I think the fact that it is himself playing himself, it was fine. The end of the movie and his transformation uh, wasn't perfect, but again, I, I think he was perfectly fine. I I agree that he is good at the doing the Pete Davidson thing of here is a deadpan joke that is like when he's talking about Crohn's disease at the Staten Island Yankees ballpark, which right. by the way, gorgeous ballpark. If anyone ever gets the chance to go gorgeous ballpark and pro tip, if you're going to be in Brooklyn or in lower Manhattan, 
You can park year-round at the Staten Island Yankee um, parking deck, $8 for the full day, and then take the ferry uh, wherever you got to go. Um, ferry's free, so you can park for the whole day. Only transportation costs outside of the subway, $8 for the whole day. That's my pro tip for anybody going to either Brooklyn um, or her, uh, lower Manhattan for the day. Anyway. <laughs> pretty pretty uh, effective little uh, piece of information there, Josh. Thank you. You are welcome. Uh, anyway, I think he did that thing really well. I think the problem, if everyone could just portray themselves on camera, then I think we would see more biopics of people of an appropriate age playing themselves. Um, or you would get a guy, like, you know, if we're going to make a movie about an Elon Musk type dude, fuck it, cast Elon Musk. Right. The problem is Pete Davidson, while he's on TV, is not an actor in a dramatic sense. He's a great comedic presence. And I think the scenes where he gets to do nothing but be the comedic presence are his best scenes. The scenes where he needs to show some actual emotional depth, he fucking flounders. And I don't think that's necessarily his fault. It's not who he is. I think the problem is, is that he wanted to be him in the movie. And it makes it tough because I know that, I know that he's feeling all these things. I know that the guy we're seeing on screen is supposed to basically be Pete Davidson by a different name, but just because you feel all those things doesn't mean you're necessarily the greatest going to be great at communicating them in this very visual medium. That's the tough part because all of this, I can tell from how it's set up and from knowing the very, very little about Pete Davidson that I know, I can tell this is all genuine to him. I don't think he was the greatest choice to be it. And it makes the very, very little amount of emotional development we have feel even smaller. Because I don't think he was the did a great job at conveying it. Uh, I would agree to that synopsis of, you know, being a, a dramatic role towards the end of the film and, and showcasing that dramatic side of Pete Davidson's story. Uh, Pete Davidson did not fit the bill for that dramatic kind of actor. I just don't know how you tell this story without Pete Davidson playing himself. I think the way you would do it is what we've been complaining about. Write a better movie. <laughs> because I think there is a way... Yeah. To get Pete Davidson to be himself and to do very little acting and have it be more effective if you work around what you need out of Pete Davidson in a given. Like, there's so many fucking plot lines in this goddamn movie that you're going to ask Pete Davidson to do a lot of things. And you shouldn't. <laughs> like, that's not going to be him. They, they, they should have written this movie around his skill set and parsed down the plot lines to give him less shit to do so that he could focus on being either just the funny guy and then having a few scenes of emotional resonance. Because you and I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know for a fact that we have watched movies where the main dramatic role has been a guy who is trying to be funny. And that is his deflection point 
for all the drama in his life. I know we've seen movies like this. I can't think of any. I know we have. That should have been this movie. But it didn't feel like this movie because they had like nine different plots. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it could have been better. I definitely think it's still an enjoyable movie. At the end of the day, it's just kind of... I accept it for what it is. I do not hate this. I don't want to, I don't want it to sound yeah. like I hate this. I, I just... There's a, there was a bunch of little things about this that I had to pick on, and I'm going to close out with just a few more of them. Because um, <laughs> this, this is one thing I think really, really changed how much I like this movie from a medium amount, from a decent amount to a medium amount. Um, which, which is higher? What's, what's better, decent or medium? Did your uh, opinion go up or down? Down. Okay. The tattoos. They're bad. When they do the reveal of the tattoos on Bill's Bur- Bill Burr's back, oh my god, they were so fucking awful. And the thing is, that was supposed to be a tender moment. And they built towards it being, one, a tender moment, and two, being a progression of Pete's artwork by constantly shitting on his tattoos in the beginning, but then you see him make a drawing of that comic book uh, character that Bill Burr's son had come up with and drawing it really, really well. Um, And it seemed like this was going to be Pete Davidson's moment for everyone to believe that he did have the ability to do this and follow his dream and make something that was going to be meaningful for Bill Burr and a display of his future promise and growth in this one fucking aspect. And they sucked. They fucking sucked. And it wasn't funny. It was honestly just sad. It was so sad. He completely disrespected Bill Burr's wishes, which I know Pete Davidson's an asshole in the movie, and that's the point. But it's it's it like they finally bonded and they had a moment for growth and they made it pathetic. I oh my it was it hurt me. It hurt me because I was so here for this one little nugget of this movie showing some good writing. And they fucked it so bad. See, I don't have nearly as negative a response to this because I didn't view this as a Pete Davidson moment. I viewed this as a Bill Burr moment. I viewed this as this is Bill Burr opening up and accepting Pete for who he is and basically saying, hey, if I'm going to be a part of this family and am I, if I'm going to accept you know, Pete as I keep saying Pete, his name is Scott in the movie. Um, but if we're going to have that moment between everyone, I need to accept and support him and his endeavors. And, uh, and this is how I am going to be able to have that connection. You know, it's like the way any stepfather connects with a stepkid, you have to find what they already, you know, what they value and and share in that. Uh, So I think this was more for Bill Burr and his growth rather than Pete Davidson's because, again, there really wasn't that kind of growth. You know, that artistic 
I do agree that I don't like the connection and, you know, trying to show like, oh, he had this one really great drawing. That means he can be a really great tattoo artist. Because I think we can all see that that's not exactly true. And in Pete Davidson's, uh, like the evidence shown there, like it's clear, you know, obviously he is not a good tattoo artist at any point. But I think the growth is for Bill Burr accepting him rather than Pete Davidson growing in any capacity as a tattoo artist or a person because his growth comes from everything else involved in the film in accepting the death of his father and, and what have you. I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't hate it to the same extent. Which is fair. Um, other smaller notes I had, just to kind of keep this moving. Um, I mentioned it, but I want to say it again. The fight that the fight scene between Pete Davidson and Bill Burr in the backyard is so bad. Um, it's laughable. It's it's pathetically bad. It's not funny in the good way where they meant it to be funny. It's it's awful, awful film filmmaking. Um, I watched and, this with someone, and they had mentioned that scene of him getting thrown in the pool being like their favorite scene from the movie, and I th- thought it was a different situation where it happened twice because seeing it for the <laughs> first time, I was like, "That's not, it's not good, really." So. No, oh my god, it was so bad. Um, also, and this isn't necessarily a knock on it. I was expecting it to be a bigger <laughs> part of the film, but Pete Davidson's connection with his um with, or uh, huh did i fucking mute this i did corbin I, yeah no i muted my goddamn computer all right i'll get i pulled i pulled the game up and i was like oh i don't want to hear that audio get blasted let me mute it and then forgot that we have all been there um Anyway, not not a huge like knock against it or anything. Just from listening to Pete David, uh, Pete Davidson, Jesus Christ, Pete David, it's a different person, I'm sure. Um, talking like Larry stand up and shit about his uh, his um, dad dying, and with a lot of like somberness, I would have expected that to be hit more heavily. There is obviously a decent amount of mention of um, Scott in this film uh, and his. Uh, deceased father especially towards the end uh, and again this is not a knock it's just like i was expecting it to be like like non-stop my dad's fucking dead here's all this shit um and it was actually spread out in a pretty interesting way but again just not what i was expecting um yeah also i, mean, I had, would like to they, say they got it out of the way very early and i will say i think it worked really well yeah uh, I, again i it out of the way there but Again, uh, I agree with you. Right on. Um, I don't think there's enough of black people in this movie for this to be about Staten Island. Um, there's one? There's one in the friend group, and then Pete Davidson gets his shit pushed in in the fight by another black guy, who, by the way, was my... Actually, I amend that. Marshall Tomei is the second part, favorite part of this film. The black guy who punches Pete Davidson in the fucking face. That, that guy's my favorite part of this film. Um, just because he punched Pete Davidson in the face? Because that's okay in my book. And his wild dancing afterwards. I, I loved don't it. remember the context of the scene. Oh, watch it again. That, that, that scene's genuinely hilarious. I had a great time with that scene. Um, 
And my I only other complaint... What was, the, what was the inciting action for the fight? It was them fighting for the tips. Oh, right. Yeah. Which, again, feels like a sketch, but I think that part actually worked great because it's so ludicrous that having it... it's That, like, that scene isn't necessarily grounded in any type of reality. That bouncing in and out of it like that, because they had two fight scenes, I believe, um, actually worked, I think, super well. I think, I think that part um, of the film was very effective. Uh, but anyway, um, last thing I have to complain about is the very first scene of the movie, which I thought would come up more and then didn't. Um, and I don't know if there's any point in continuing to talk about it because it's going to be the same complaint we had throughout this entire discussion, which is this film brought up plot points and then put them down as soon as it felt convenient. But Pete Davidson almost dies in the beginning of the movie with like a, just like a spur of the moment. Let's see if I kill myself or not, whether or not kind of thing with uh, on the, on the road by just closing his eyes while driving very fast on the highway. And then that never comes up again. It's just completely dropped. And I figured that like mildly suicidal aspect of things would come up more. Um, and it didn't, and that was so fucking weird because I was sitting there at the end of the movie, like, why did we watch that beginning scene if it didn't have any bearing on the rest of the film? So I, so some background information on that in the interview with Judd Apatow that I watched, he mentions that specific scene and specifically that scene originally just took place in like the middle of the film, just kind of out of nowhere, just. It was just like a, a a transition scene, essentially, uh, for the the second half of the film. I I think I would I think I would like it more if the car near death experience was in the middle of the film when his life was falling apart. Because I think that I get the idea that they'd want to show you at the outset that he is a not well person, but I think to set that as the standard at the beginning and then have the rest of the film be a much, much lesser extent of that isn't nearly as effective as showing that to be the peak of his mental instability in the middle of the film when his life is really falling to pieces because having his life fall to pieces and then there be no grand big moment like that one, I don't think is nearly as effective as having that in the beginning and then have that shit just never come up again. Um, But... I have mixed Whatever. feelings, but I won't disagree because you make a fair point. Um, all right, let's let's move on to final ratings and reviews. We've talked for uh, unless do you have anything else to say before we do? No. All right, yeah, we took because we talked for a while about this one. Um, I've said all that I need to say. I don't want to spend any more time on it. Two and a half stars. I'll give it three. Fair enough. All right, it's now so let's funny. move on over. To uh, the second film we have for the day, uh, 2020's The Sound of Metal. Uh, it was written and directed by Darius Martyr, um, also co written by uh, Abraham Martyr, and the story is by Darius Martyr and Derek Sienna France. Chana France. Sienna France. No idea. Uh, it stars Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, and Paul Rachi. Um, do we have an estimated budget this time? Let's see it. Uh, cumulative worldwide gross of thirteen thousand uh, dollars. But again, this is a COVID film, so none of that shit. And it's a streaming film. None of it straight, shit matters. So, yeah, straight to stream. Yeah, it 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 just so doesn't matter. Uh, oh, this one has a tagline. 
Music was his world, then silence revealed a new one. Uh. Sure. Uh, again, so this has no major award wins nor nominations yet. This was our best. This is one of our Oscars films. Um, we have this film as possibly being uh, a best lead actor and or best supporting actor nominee. Um, although I certainly um, there's some minor categories that we didn't look at, but I could definitely not minor, but uh, more technical um, award categories that we didn't look at while making that list of films to watch that this is certainly going to be nominated for. This will definitely get some sound uh, related nominations, like almost fucking for sure. Um, but anyway, uh, it is about a heavy metal drummer's life that is thrown into free fall when he begins to lose his hearing. Um, Corwin, this was your pick, so you start. I don't want to start. Um, fine. I I don't even know how to begin with this. I really didn't know anything other than that brief synopsis going into it. Um, and I will say, starting off, I watched this yesterday morning um, at like 3 a.m. No, it was like 2 a.m. Uh, when I started it. So I was in a very just tired... Compromised state? I wouldn't even say compromised. It wasn't like it negatively affected the film. I just think it kind of altered my frame of reference and how like metaphysical I got with it, if that makes any sense. Where I was just kind of like really in, focusing in on like his mental state during this, which by all means, is not like it is a uh, a small part of this film or an overlooked part of the film. I think it is, all in all, the main focus of it as a movie. But it's something I really latched onto. And I really... What was the actor's name that played Ruben? Um, Riz Ahmed. I thought he did an absolutely tremendous job in this film, both portraying... Uh, someone who is deaf and the uh, the struggle that I must go through being a professional magician, not magician, musician. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, that's my new favorite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> losing basically everything that makes you and your career feasible. Um <laughs> I just absolutely loved his performance. Uh, his sleight of hand tricks were tremendous. Um, <laughs> Where he got that rabbit from, we'll never know. Uh, his uh, skin pocket. Um, <laughs> I just, I really, really enjoyed a lot of this film. And I, I, I wrote down a certain score for this film where I wasn't, locked into it because i wasn't sure how this would kind of age both with a night's sleep and thinking more about the story and discussing the story um that being said even just thinking about it now you know the day after i'm starting to think that i might bump it up a little bit um because i really am enjoying just looking back and thinking on uh everything that occurred and how it was portrayed and just the growth that uh, Ruben goes through throughout. It definitely has its faults. Um, 
it definitely slows down quite a bit at times, and it's definitely a all-in-all frustrating film to watch, which I have to assume is part of the intention uh, intention for uh, going through something like this, trying to connect with the character of Ruben and connect with the struggles that he's going through through this process and just how how difficult it must be to to understand how to completely transition your entire life around such an abrupt change um, but all in all I thought this was a a very good movie I'll let you talk. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> you did a great job in there, too. Awesome. Somewhere in there was a point. Hey, no, just like I'm every kidding. rambling that I go on. Uh, um, yeah, I want to give so many shout-outs to this film. I, I think it did a great job. Riz Ahmed, I think, did a f- fucking phenomenal job. Um, I am so hoping he gets this nomination for Best uh actor in a leading role that we have him projected to possibly get um, because I think he certainly deserves it. And I also think as, as a minor note, it's great to just see movies cast people of colors in non like uh, yeah, where it's not like, Oh man, who are we going to going to cast a black guy or a white guy for Martin Luther King Jr. Like, I don't know. What do you think? Um, like the idea that, hey, here's just a guy in life and we're going to make this movie with a person of color and not make that the whole goddamn movie about how he's a person of color. My God, is that refreshing. Um, I don't think it was mentioned once in this movie. I would be surprised if it was mentioned once. No, and, and I the only reason I think about it is because I want that more and I'm so happy we got it, especially because this could have so easily been a generically white dude. It's a, it's like a metal band, you know, a punk metal band. They, you know, that's what you'd expect. I'm, I'm very happy for that as a minor note. Um, I think this did a great job with the how it conveys deafness by not giving you subtitles in the scenes uh, with ASL before um, Ruben learns sign language and only gives it to you afterwards so that you were also experiencing deafness in the way that he is as the film takes its course. Uh, um, I didn't have subtitles at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you watch this on Amazon? I did. It had subtitles. Mine did anyway. Maybe you have them turned off. It didn't really affect the, the movie for me in any meaningful way. Um, but just to add on to your point, I don't know how this film doesn't win the Oscar for Best Sound Design. Sound design I, I and think, sound mixing. Yeah, I think this is an as much of a lock as you can get. Absolutely. Uh, it's just almost like uh, I could not even comprehend how something uh, released this year could top it. No, and I, I'm I'm going to look up to see how accurate, because just out of my own curiosity, how accurate the the sound is for the um the scenes where he's okay. wearing. Where he's got the yeah the cochlear implants, um, yeah. but supposedly like, very because I was also curious about that. I was gonna say I have to imagine like this film feels so precise, and again I I I'm saying this without having done too much looking into it of it. Although um, to back up the little assertion I'm going to make, um, the man who plays what's his name in the film, uh, uh, Joe yeah. Paul Ra- Paul Ritchie is actually a, um, a advocate for um, deaf people. Uh, deaf adults and children um 
so he um i'm i'm sure with his involvement in this film that it it, it is rather accurate and it, to that point like this was a huge eye opener for me too i mean i because i'm like him i would have assumed with the cochlear implant yeah it's probably not going to sound like your ears sound before you have problems but i would have assumed it sounded different than that holy shit like yeah. like so this film I, is informative i looked up after watching the movie uh how a cochlear implant works and it was not at all what i was expecting um basically it's just a microphone in the little external uh black pieces that you see him wear behind his ears that take in and basically turn all of the audio that it picks up into a um uh it stimulates the nerve like it vibrates the the nerves in your ear uh well behind your ear actually and basically tricks your ear into thinking that there's sound coming through from your eardrums and it's just basically like morse code for your ears and it just your brain assumes that it's coming from your eardrum when it's actually just coming from this device which Crazy. is why it's 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 close but it's not the actual like full surround sound depth of audio that you would hear with a full eardrum right which makes total sense um i will i will also say this film is not what i was expecting it to be um no so when I, because what's funny enough is my grandparents watched this like two months ago uh, when it like first dropped on Amazon Prime and they told me to watch it. Um, so th my grandparents were early to the fucking game with this shit, man. Bunch of um, hipsters. Hey, Larry and Lenore are very hip. Um, love my fucking grandparents. Five, hipster names if I've ever heard of them. <laughs> Straight out of the BX, baby. Um, anyway. I was, when, when, you know, when I got told it was about a drummer losing his hearing, I thought that was going to be the whole movie. I thought that this film was going to be about Riz Ahmed slowly losing his hearing and coping with that as it went on. Um, I hear I you thought, saying the same. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought it was going to be about him struggling to cope with playing music while losing his hearing. And then the fact that he like then loses it within the first, what, 10, five minutes of the film? And um, it's complete loss almost immediately. Yeah, I was surprised when they said that was like 25%. I'm thinking like, this dude can't hear shit. You're right. telling me that's only 25%? <laughs> I would have assumed yeah. it like seven. Um, but yeah, I, the fact that he loses it so quickly. I First off, I do think that the film that you and I thought this would have been also would be a good movie. But I am honestly so happy it wasn't that because it left me going well shit what the fuck now <laughs> and because it wasn't the formula i was expecting that was fun i'm i'm glad it was something i couldn't have placed because i had no because you know like seeing a dude lose his hearing progressively I, i'm along for that emotional ride and i you, know, you ultimately have an understanding of probably where it's likely to go but you're there for the emotion this i don't even know what happens next and and i think that you know that's a key part of the message of the film is like here's how deaf people you know operate within the world and how they learn to be deaf and how they're going to experience life now and that's some shit i never could have fucking imagined and now it's here and that's that's such a better story because most people aren't going to get that 
I want more of this movie. I want to know. I want a sequel. I want to. I want a Sound of Metal two. I want the Sound of Recovery. And honestly, so I was going to say that was one of my things. Is I could have done with more of this film. Like this is this this movie comes in at. Uh, let me pull up the exact time. I think it's two hours even. Yeah, two hours. And I I could have lived in this movie for longer, really, because. Each place that this movie has you is so well done and visually presents so much to you to give you a feeling and understanding of where you are. Like like the 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 morning after the show when Riz Ahmed is making breakfast and shit, doing his little workout and stuff before he wakes up um mm-hmm. Lou. Those little you know, like B roll shots painted such a picture. Uh, so much to his character yeah because it shows you he is a he is very uh in touch with his health um he is he is very meticulous in in what he does he has a routine he sticks with it these are all these things about him and here's where he lives and here's all these details and oh it was great the first thought i had on in this entire film was when they were going through those shots of the trailer was like holy shit that is the cleanest trailer that someone has lived in i have ever seen like meticulous like the floors are perfect there's nothing building up anywhere it's just kind of like he was air cleaning the the fucking mixer and then they show that and it's like okay i know absolutely everything i need to know and then when you find out explained it perfectly right and then when you find out later on in the film that he's a he's an addict it makes even more sense and it paints an even better picture right like that's his control over what's going on it's it's the exact opposite of i wouldn't say the exact opposite but it is the opposite of how the king of staten island goes through it's both stories of learning how to cope with loss in your life it's both stories of trying to piece together your life after a major event and learning to cope with the changes but where you know the king of staten island is a sketch comedy movie trying to be a, a dramatic comedy this is a a serious drama with some you know some lighthearted moments and and some i'll be honest not many lighthearted moments but building that depth of character first and then designing the rest of the film after it makes such a more complete picture absolutely absolutely and you know what you know actually to to that point of um happy moments versus non-happy moments or however it is you just phrased it you know what else i find interesting about this film is that it's not necessarily sad it's very angry and I think that's exactly how I would experience this. Because if I lost my hearing, even not as, I mean, I play music, but I'm not going to sit here and call myself a musician. Um, I, like, I, I, I have like a very mild uh, case of tinnitus where I'll like lose hearing in, in one ear for like three to five seconds at a time. It doesn't happen very often. Um, and even when it happens, it is so disorienting. And it's absolutely infuriating. Um, and I've had like 
simultaneous ear infections where I've lost like 50% of my hearing in both ears at the same time. It is absolutely infuriating. And to have so, because most of what Riz Ahmed shows, it isn't even like, he doesn't even self-pity too much in this film. They're definitely there. But a lot of it is spent with anger, like smashing the fucking donut on the table or with the the um, burning sense of perseverance where he's got to go get this this surgery and he's going to sell all his shit to do it. Um, coupled in with the lighter notes of him, you know, playing uh uh, drums with the kids and all that shit mm-hmm. and i think the anger of this film also really works to hit its benefit um because i don't think that's a that's a mood you sit in for as much as this movie has you sit in it i it's hard for me to sit back and and you know argue like oh like i i get it because you know i would do the same if i was in a situation because i'm a very different kind of person like i i don't get that way when things things unfold like that i don't get angry i don't get you know pissed off at the world and and you know break things this and that like i get sad like that's just who i am it's just a different you know way of coping but man i i couldn't imagine at any point not understanding why he's getting like that. I like, even though I have no ability to relate to how he's going through this, I am not about to sit here and say, I'm not able to understand relate or not relate, but you know, sympathize, sympathize. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for with what he's going through. Cause how could you not get angry? Like you should be angry that your entire life is getting turned on its head and there's just no way for you to come back and, and change it. It's just, you have to cope however you can. And, and that's just the way it is, you know? Yeah. Like I'm not a big smash it up guy either, but you know, when you see him destroying his music, some of that music equipment in the very beginning and, you know, beating that donut into a fucking pulp, putting it together in a nice little pile and then beating it into a pulp again. Um, the, the film guides you to the, the point where you can be like, Oh yeah, I'm with you. I get it. I wouldn't necessarily do that myself, but I get it. Um, right. I also would like to highlight, uh, how fucking quiet this movie is. And how effective that is, too. Yeah. There's, I mean, this is a very quiet film. There's, I I don't even remember what, if there's a score, what it sounds like. I don't know. I could not tell you. And it's like, when we talked about Black Swan a week or two ago, um, I made the point, or we talked about how there's a lot of there was a lot of black and white contrast in that film, and it's like, of course, there's going to be because that's one of the central themes of the film is you know this black and white, um, just contrast and how, of course, like of course it's going to be there, but it's important that it's there even if it's obvious, and having stuff like there be very little score in a film that is about a man losing his hearing, of you know that might have been like one of the first decisions that they fucking made, um. Because, again, why wouldn't you do that? Um, but you do those things because it's still really effective. And while, it, you know, for a, a movie about a dude losing his hearing, 
it would make sense to make the film as quiet as it is as it is it's still oh god it it matters that it is you know it it matters that that this movie is so silent and that you spend so much of this movie quietly looking at Riz Ahmed being still and silent and have to try to in some way imagine that this is what you what you're hearing is all he's going to hear and kind of just sitting there I I completely agree. I know we've talked about this recently. I just I'm struggling to remember the film that it was, but it was something that utilized silence in such a way that it really added and highlighted how well it can be used to accentuate the sound and the sound that you're used to on a daily basis and and when you remove it from the situation, it goes to show just how impactful it is. I really wish I could remember the film, but this I just think takes it to just a, not even a whole nother level, but it jumps it up five, six levels where I just cannot get over how well the sound is utilized throughout this entire this entire movie and just how well it, it helps you connect with Ruben and connect with the clear and utter pain he's going through just consistently it's it's monumental uh how well this was done i i love it technically speaking i think the sound design is just about as perfect as you could get it yeah i i i think this is such a complete experience as a movie too because there's there's something for you and i think every aspect of it the the sound design, as we've been saying, is flawless. Riz Ahmed keeps this engaging. I mean, sh- he occupies so much screen time in this film. Um, even for a standard lead acting role, he is. I'm like I'm pressed to think of a scene that doesn't have him in it. Um, which mm. e- again, even for a lead, like there are many scenes in The King of Staten Island without Pete Davidson in it. Um, right. scenes between like Bill Burr and Marissa Tomei, and, you know, the friends and shit. Like, I, I can't think of one that doesn't have Riz Ahmed in it. He's fucking amazing in this. Um, cinematography. It's great. Mm-hmm. I just, I looked it up after the, after the movie, because I was curious. This is done on 35 millimeter film. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it I shows. Mean, it feels like it's shot on 35. Yeah. That op- the opening scenes of them playing um in that you know basement venue is gorgeous gorgeous fucking gorgeous uh riz ahmed learned the drums for this that shows too um uh, because that is one thing that i'm always very persnickety about when it comes to um watching music films is i want to see whether or not the people are playing music because i am a dick and he absolutely was he absolutely was it was all perfect I think he said he he learned it over the course of six months. Yeah, that sounds right. I think I think I saw the same. We both spent time on Reddit. Oh, uh, I actually don't I, know if it was even on Reddit, but I was going to say I'm not sure if I saw that on Reddit either. But, um, I I do think 
the only area where I will complain, and it's so, so small, I think complaint's even a harsh word, is again, just places where I wish this movie was longer. Um, I, I, I want there to have been more time um, spent with the group at, at the, the deaf community home. Um, cause I, I don't think I got enough and for me personally, like I want to see more of that shit just cause I was so intrigued by those, uh, by the setting and, and the other characters. Um, I would have loved to have seen more scenes with everybody at the, the group, um, adult deaf community. Um, and I actually, that might really honestly be the only thing I would want, would have possibly wanted more of out of the, out of this movie. Um, cause I, I. Maybe maybe it take him longer to raise the forty grand it would have taken for him to get the ship, but even that isn't a big deal. I don't really care. Yeah, nah, he sold I, yeah. a lot of expensive things. Yeah, I don't it, even care. Yeah. Oh god, just the idea, like with how frugal you and I both are. Like we are both very frugal people. The idea of spending like sixty, eighty thousand dollars on something that was clearly not researched well enough beforehand and also something that is not going to work for you. And by all means now, a I don't want to say a waste because he will obviously use it throughout his life, but an unnecessary expense, it hurt. It physically hurt me. Well, so and I, I think that's an interesting part. So, you know, let's talk about the ending because I, I don't think we're going to have too much else to say about the middle since it's mainly just the the progression so you know, at the end of the movie he is uh standing in a in, in a in a town i'm not sure if they say which town he's in and it doesn't matter uh and um, the, the in paris i don't is think he, he ever flies back yeah oh 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 okay um, like when he goes to visit lou that's in paris oh you guys you're right he never did leave anyway um the 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 ambient sound of the of the town uh, becomes overwhelming for him, and he he turns off his cochlear implants and kind of looks around and has a, a similar. I was l- laughing a little bit because it has a, kind of a similar ending to the King of Staten Island, but a wildly different journey. <laughs> um, in that both of them are kind of experiencing their their newfound life at the end, but uh, this one much more significant. And I, I. Like you said, it's not a waste because he's going to use it. And I think in that moment, Riz Ahmed realizes he is no longer a musician. At least not in its current form. And he has come to terms with that. And it's not necessarily about the fact that he's not going to be using his cochlear implants or he regrets that or anything. I think it's him finally coming to understand that he is deaf. And just because right. he has cochlear implants, that doesn't change the fact that he is deaf. And he has finally accepted that and now sees a different world in front of him. Because the idea of him turning off the cochlear implants isn't that they were just that they were bothering him. It's a new world of possibilities in what he is capable of doing. You know what I mean? Right. At least that's how I, I, I read into it. Uh, I didn't have the same kind of synopsis from that or not synopsis but uh realization from that i think it's more of acceptance and quality of life where 
he's so desperate or he was so desperate to cling on to his chance to be a musician and continue to be a musician and he was clinging on to his former life he wants to still be in a band with lou he still wants to be a drummer on tour he still wants to be able to use his ears to make music and to play music and i think once he realizes that even with this device his life won't be the same even with this device he can't you know save the relationship that they've both kind of moved from and accepted and i will say the relationship breakup scene with how mature they are both about it is such a breathtakingly breath of fresh air different breath exactly yeah it's so nice to see where it's like two people acting like mature adults who both are accepting the fact that they are now different people after what a stretch of time has passed while he was in the uh the commune um really really appreciated them including that in the way they did uh but at the same time i think that final scene is him accepting that he can't hold on to the life he had previously he needs to move on with one that he can create himself and uh that's what i got from it which is similar just not quite in the same vein yeah, I'm I'm with it. I I think I took it because it definitely seemed positive. It definitely seemed at the end that there was some level of warmth to that ending that I wanted to attach that positive connotation to it. But I I don't disagree with anything that you said. Um I also I I fully agree. I fucking love the way that they presented the relationship between uh Lou and Riz as rational adults who each have their feelings and are also each understanding of their feelings. Like the fact that Lou leaves in the beginning because um, she feels as though Riz is no longer offering a safe space for her as someone with her own problems that she is working through um, and experiencing is such a wonderful thing to see instead of having to watch this woman just put up with this dude's shit and then, and then wait around for him to be done dealing with his shit so she can just glob back onto him instead of being her own woman, which she gets yeah. to be in this film. Like her making a tough decision to leave her boyfriend of four years at this commune while she goes off and, and has to face this reality of life and change. You know, this affects, this affects her nearly as much as it does him, where, you know, obviously she still has her hearing. You know, she can continue on with her life normally in a physical way but it's still her livelihood that is getting turned on its head and is completely changing you know like their metal duo is her life like that it's shown throughout like this is everything to the both of them taking that away all of a sudden is obviously going to be very very different and she's coping with it just as much as he is and and she is making a tough decision to basically lock in the fact that they have to do this in order to find their new reality and she kind of you know 
saw that he wasn't willing to make that decision yet, so she was going to make it for him. And I think it worked really well. And we clearly saw that throughout the film. Oh. Very well so, done. So Very well, well done. done. Yeah, this, this like really is just... More and more is making me like it more. Oh, yeah. More. I'm going to rewatch this in the near future. Yeah. Um, this is this is a, a beautiful contrast uh, to The King of Staten Island in terms of um, the the cross section between uh, good filmmaking and a well written script, mm-hmm. um, completely. And I also like to shout out the fact that, um, and I keep wondering if I'm saying his name right, but Paul Racy, Paul Racy. I'm not sure how you say his name. Um, the fact that if he's not an actor, um, which it seems like he's not, um, since uh, he is uh, seemingly more of an advocate and apparently also a um, musician. He did a wonderful job for someone who I'm. It looks like is not an actor. Um, mm. So shout outs to him too. Yeah, he did a really good job. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I really have much else to say. Do you? I don't. I mean, I can look through my notes just a bit, but I feel like we touched on on all of the big ones that I wanted to discuss. Oh, the rules of the commune. This is just a small thing. There's no phones, there's no internet, no car. For those living in it, you do not have access to those. The woman who helps Ruben sell off all of his items, like the RV, everything that gets included there, why does she have access to the car? No idea. Okay. I mean, I would assume, I would assume somebody amongst the commune members have to have access to the car just to go get shit like groceries or whatever. Um, Maybe she's been there the longest, and car use is her jam. Um, No idea. That's a total fucking guess. Fair enough. Just curious, if anything. Um, I don't really have much else. Yeah, that's it for me. Oh, the one other thing I would have wanted is to see more of what he wrote when he was in the study. Oh, yeah. Just kind of have that being something, you know, you have insight to. I agree. That would be really cool to see. Yeah, I would have loved for that to come. Again, not that it made or break broke this film. And again, not that it's even like a huge negative against it. But I definitely would have loved to have that come back in some form around the end. But. Agreed. Yeah. All right, uh, shall we do a final rating and review? Yeah, sure. All right, um, this, this, yeah, this was your movie, so why don't you start? Um, I think this is a tr- near-perfect technical film that also does a, a truly tremendous job at character introspective and character growth in a way that's, like we said earlier, a breath of fresh air with how mature and... Uh, realistic it is with how people do grow, how people do deal with life-changing, uh, you know, changes, life-changing changes. Yep. Um, I think this is something that, after an initial watch, I think is tremendous. After discussing it here shortly, I think it's phenomenal. And the more and more I think I watch this and get into this, the more I will appreciate it. Um, so I'm very excited to kind of see where this 
how this is received with a wider audience and both uh, how this does in award season. I could not recommend this movie more. I'm going to give it a four and a half with a very strong future consideration to bump it up to a five. I'm in the exact same boat. I'm in the exact same boat. I'm also going to give this a four and a half. I think this is so well made. Um, This will be one. You know, it's not listed uh, amongst the films that we saw getting any hype for Best Picture. So maybe that speaks to how competitive that group is this year. Um, We'll get there when we get there. Um, But this, I mean, it's it's just such, it's such a different story than what you typically get out of Oscar season. And I think that is so to its benefit. And it it adds to the watching experience because not only is this hitting all the notes you want it to hit, it's gorgeous, the sound design, the acting, the writing. It's also just something that you're not, most of us aren't familiar with. You know, movies that talk about World War II from a perspective that we're not quite used to, it's still World War II and I have a frame of reference for that based on other films and history class. This, like, I understand that people are deaf, and I understand that there is a deaf community. I don't fucking know anything about it. This is a totally different viewpoint on life than I am used to seeing on film or in my own experience, and that is so to its benefit. Um, so I, I'm a big fan. I'm going to agree fully with Corwin. I'm going to give this a four and a half with future watches leaving room to move it up from there. Um, Beautiful. So happy with this. Great choice, Corwin. <laughs> thank you thank you even though uh, it was one we had to pick at some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh all right then let's uh let's take it into next week's picks uh corwin what do you got i'm going with one that i've wanted to see for a while but i've never wanted to be sad enough to watch at any given time i'm gonna go with manchester by the sea all right all right all right, all right. Uh. Uh, 2016. That's what, oh, is that 2016 already? Jesus Christ. That is weird. I feel like that just came out like a year or two ago, but whatever. Um, all right, so that's 2016's Manchester by the Sea. Um, for our Oscars pick, which falls um, on me this week, uh, as we've been alternating back and forth, I'm going with Pieces of a Woman. Um, where you're projecting this to be nominated for Best Lead Actress and Best Supporting Actress based on uh, the articles. In- lists that we have seen yeah real serial killer actual serial killer charlotte um anyway so those are the picks for next week check them out if you have any questions comments anything you'd like to tell us about this week's episode give us a shout on twitter at uh big screen juice or hit us up via email at juicing the big screen at gmail.com and until next week y'all have a good one bye Oh, fuck off, Craig. He did this last time and it was all good.
Oh, Craig's such a bitch. Yeah. You got the uh, Bucks Packers game on? You know what? Go Pack Go.